Welcome to Insights with Sights, the symphony of scripture, a weekly podcast exploring the themes and contours of the weekly scripture readings. For more information about the podcast or to download the companion notes, please visit www.wickliffcollege.ca/podcast. We now join our host, the Reverend Dr. Christopher Seitz. We are approaching the end of our lectionary year B. And as noted, we have for this Sunday a reading from the apocalyptic portion of Mark's Gospel, which in its entirety in chapter 13 runs for some 37 verses. Our selection is but the brief opening portion of that. Also, as noted, the focus on the end times at the end of the lectionary year, which has its correlates in Matthew 24 and Luke 21, will continue into the first Sundays of Advent. Advent, in this sense, meaning the second coming of Christ and not the first coming at Bethlehem alone. So Luke's apocalyptic material will pick up in year C, where Mark's eight verses give but a small summary on the first Sunday of Advent next lectionary year, that is simply two Sundays away. And Matthew will return the favor in his lectionary year by providing a summary from his gospel that in turn will send us to Mark chapter 13's longer account for Advent 1 of year B when it comes around again. Both Luke and Mark situate the long, final, apocalyptic, end-of-days speech of Jesus after the story of the widow, the widow offering her might at the treasury, where it fits naturally enough, Jesus is leaving the temple sanctuary he has cleansed and where he has confronted religious leaders. The scene of the extended action after his entry from Jerusalem and the Mount of Olives until this, his final farewell a sanctuary not made with human hands, as Hebrew puts it, will be and is now his present place of intercession, having laid down his life in the manner Hebrews and Mark know is once for all and for all. The departure from the temple evokes scenes reminiscent from the prophetic witnesses, Ezekiel most especially. There it amounts to an ominous withdrawal of the Lord God himself for a season of judgment against his people. This withdrawal by the Lord Jesus this time is permanent, the culmination of judgment against human sin and rebellion for one final time and forever with Jesus the Lord God and Jesus himself 
the sacrificial offering of God's love for the world he has made. Upon leaving the temple, the disciples, awed at its massive size and seeming permanence, it had stones of huge girth, some weighing up to 300 tons, and would have been by far the largest structure ever seen by them. Upon leaving then, they give voice to their astonishment. Imagine the contrast from a tiny mite in a widow's palm to something like the top of the Twin Towers. All will be thrown down, Jesus says, in response to their awe, and not one stone will be left on another. All standards of measurement will be recast by a single wooden cross about the size of the man standing before them. Whatever one makes of the astonishing details of the end time about to be spelled out and their timing, details that have vexed interpreters, including the actual destruction of the temple not long off and how that might correlate with the end time, given that it happened now over 2,000 years ago and the end time has not come. Details are short eight-verse session mercifully spares us. But one thing is certain. Before going to his death, Jesus spoke of a final judgment and of the end of the temple as it had previously belonged to God's precious plans. And his own death on a cross will be surrounded by just these same apocalyptic features supplied most clearly by Matthew and with Mark satisfied to report the dramatic rending of the temple curtain at the hour of death. With the death of Jesus, a new reign of God begins which will take us to the end of time in its significance. The beginning of birth pains but the conception and the bringing to term are accomplished in this man Jesus, and this sets in motion a temporal horizon encompassing now all future time, including our own, and placing us, for the most part Gentile outsiders, right alongside Peter and James and John and Andrew. The track one reading continues with the roll call of famous women of integrity, following Esther, Dame Wisdom, and Ruth. Hannah's position in the first chapter of Samuel also picks up the Davidic theme at the close of Ruth, where the birth of Ovid to Ruth, Boaz, and Naomi we learn is in fact the grandfather of David. The hopelessness of the last chapters of Judges with the refrain, there was no king in the land, everyone did what was right in their own eyes, represents its own kind of moral famine mirroring that of Ruth. 
And as the birth of Ovid signals a new hopefulness, the barrenness of Hannah overcome opens onto a new horizon in God's generous and faithful plans with his people. And she named him Samuel, for she said, I asked him of the Lord. And following this, Hannah breaks out in her Magnificat of praise. Our psalm reading for this Sunday, whose final lines make the pending resolution of judges and the famines and barrenness of this life clear. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. He will give strength to his king, and he will exalt the power of his anointed. As with all good inspiration, Hannah is given more to sing and say than she can fully grasp within her own present walk with God and with the birth of this little boy, Samuel. The paired Old Testament reading from Daniel 12 also gives a vision of the future, not for Daniel's own day, but for the times that lie outside and beyond his own understanding. Far beyond the several generations separating Hannah and Samuel and David, and indeed unto the very end times themselves. The reference in Daniel 12 to making wise the saints following the saint has rightly been viewed as a inner biblical interpretation and application of Isaiah's suffering servant song. See, my servant will act wisely, which interpreted in the light of the whole poem is the servant making those wise who see in his death God's final purposes by his knowledge, my servant will justify many. And this includes even the nations in their own way. Nations will be amazed and kings will shut their mouths because of him. So the first verses of that famous suffering servant poem. Daniel is given to see this as an end time judgment where the faithful servants of the one servant are raised up and given eternal life after a time of upheaval and tribulation. And so a prefigurement of the work of Christ on the cross and extended to the end times in the manner of Jesus' own final teaching of his disciples, his last teaching before that end time, end time event about to unfold on Calvary. Our psalm lines out his ultimate fate as we await his coming and the final judgment he announced. I have set the Lord always before me, and because 
He is at my right hand, I shall not fall. My heart, therefore, is glad and my spirit rejoices. My body also shall rest in hope. For you will not abandon me to the grave, nor let your Holy One see the pit. You will show me the path of life in your right hand are pleasures forevermore. And finally, our epistle reading for this Sunday, the final installment of our semi-continuous reading from the epistle to the Hebrews. We are in the period, as Hebrews puts it, between the once for all suffering and sacrifice and offering for sins. The author of Hebrews has been at pains to set before us, undertaken in and by this unique priesthood of Christ between that event and the end times. And as he says, enemies will no longer beset his kingdom and his accomplishment of love. We may let, therefore, the exhortation from the author of Hebrews have the last word for this Sunday as next we move to the Sunday of Christ the King, the last Sunday of our lectionary year. Since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us approach with a true heart in full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. And let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who has promised is faithful. And let us consider how to provoke one another to love and good deeds, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. We hope you enjoyed Insights with Sights, the symphony of scripture. For archived episodes and notes, please visit www.wickliffcollege.ca podcast. Thank you, and we hope you tune in again. This podcast is a ministry of Wycliffe College at the University of Toronto.